The spirit of performance is what defines Acura. And now, it's electric. Introducing the ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. This is Full Change with Tom Laidlaw. All right, Tom, probably most pumped up about this one because we have the epitome of someone who's made a second career and made it bigger than than the first career. So we have a first-round draft pick, author, fighter, podcast host, poet, Poet. as he starts each show with a poem. (laughs) And I know you don't watch TV, but we have an actor who's on... One of my favorite shows. Well, two of them actually, Letter Kenny and Shorzy. Oh, you're kissing ass. We have the host of oh, absolutely. We have the host of Tales with Tr. Terry Ryan. How you doing there, brother? Good to see you. Great to see you again. And thanks <laughs> for the intro. Pump my tires there a little bit. Though. No kidding. He was really. Oh, like, absolutely. What do you want? Like, what are you after there? Like, really <laughs> I want to get him on the podcast. Yeah, I think it's go. You want to get him on again? Probably that's it, Joe. Yeah. <laughs> how you doing there, bud? We met each other. What? How many years ago now? 30 years ago or something. No, yeah, I don't know, man. I was a junior hockey player. So yeah. I'm 46 now. It's sometime in those 90s. It's a blur, but sometime in the 90s, Tom. Yep. So I was working at IMG, uh, and I didn't actually directly represent Terry, but uh, he was working all together. The one thing I'll never forget about you, you and Brian Rard got in a fight at an all-star game yeah. in Kitchener. Was it in Kitchener? Is that what it was? And our parents were sitting together because he yes, was IMG, right. too. So yeah. we were all representing the same people. Uh, this is an all-star game. Nobody gets in a fight in an all-star game. These two guys that are supposed to be buddies getting in a, getting a fight. It was a good scrap, too. This good one. Who won? Well, I, I thought about it, and it was um, – my draft year was also the lockout. It, it was a lockout year, 94-95. So there's some great players. And, and I remember, like, Damon Lankow, who ended yeah. up going fifth overall. I went eighth. And Brian Boucher, who I think you represented, maybe, yep. Yep. went 21st or 22nd. So we had three first-rounders in, in Tri-Cities, which was, it was a great feeling to be able to absorb that all as a group rather than one person. I think it probably would have been a little bit more right. personally um, pressurized maybe. Yeah. But um, And then you had Sheldon, couple... Sheldon Surrey was a second round pick too, right? Was yeah, it? yeah. And Sir yeah. Surrey was playing with us. It was, it was yeah. an awesome time. And, and yeah. I hung out with those guys in the summer because I would go to Edmonton. There seemed to be a lot of Tri-City Americans slash IMG guys up there at that time. So it was a really tight-knit group. But um, in that game, and I'd met Brian because yeah. we were IMG guys. And Brian Burrard, you were just said I, I got a fight with, to give a bit of context to it, Brian Boucher, my junior goalie, yeah, yeah. they're both from Rhode Island, right? Yeah, so buddies, they knew yeah. each other from Woonsocket, Rhode Island. There not you only go. From Rhode Island, but a little spot. So I knew, and I met Brian, but he was rated first overall. Yeah. In my mind, I was lucky to get into that game. And it, it used to be the CHL All-Star game. Now, it, it, it shortly after that turned into prospects. And people go, hey, you got no fight prospect game. I'm like, no, I think part of the reason that we were successful they had the prospect game we just happened to make the the, the, the team right. and it was split we had to split with 
Quebec League to play the OHL because it was in the O, so it was only 10 of each team. Oh, that's so right. I thought to myself, I'm lucky enough to get in this game. I can't make myself score, but I did score a couple. But but I can make myself go fight, and I got to be noticed, man. And and I I said it's either going to be Ed Jovanovsky, who went first last year, or or Brian Burrard. Oh. And our parents happened to be sitting together, so it was a wild story. But we, I, rem- I remember when it happened. Like Part of me was like really proud. Like These guys are really into it. The other part was like pretty awkward, too, like we're sitting together. Yeah, well, half the, it was a weird way to do it because then the boys had just won the World Junior. So half a lot of guys in the game not only just played the World Junior, a lot were already in the NHL. It was just right. happened to be lockouts. And a lot of them, oh. like for guys like Jovanovsky or, I don't know, Bill Bowler or David Ling, I mean, these guys three years older than me in that game. Oh, that's right. Right? So a lot of them, I'm sure that they were like the last thing. They Todd Bertuzzi, yeah. right, a couple years older, had a ticket signed. Like, what does he want to be fighting for? Yeah. But there was enough of us in the game that were clawing at the bit. And give Barrard credit, man. As soon as I asked him, he had no qualms. And he that's played cool. me hard the rest of the game. That's Chirped cool. me the rest of the game. Oh, did he chirp you? Oh, okay. Yeah, uh-huh. I really, uh-huh. really respected the way he played. Didn't fight as much as I did, right. but he doesn't get enough credit for being as gritty as he was. Yeah. Yeah, the whole eye thing really slowed him down, too. So where'd you grow up? Where's home? Uh, Mount Pearl, Newfoundland, a suburb of St. John's. Is that where you are now? Yeah. Oh, okay. Very cool. I'm, I'm literally, I'm a 30-second, uh, two-minute, tops walk from the house my parents still live in that i grew up in very good very good and were you a good player right away when you started playing not right away but by the when i became good at 11 12 well i went to the quebec peewee tournament was rated number one we i had to get out of here early tom that was the thing by the time i was 14 i don't mind saying it it's going to sound braggadocious but i was on we won the all newfoundland which is a provincial championship 16 to nothing i had eight we went to the quebec tournament i was the big name so that's when Tri City were at that tournament, and, and right. they invited me out west. I remember from the Quebec people, which was Pee Wee, so I guess I'm 13. I went there both years. First year I was a good first year. Second year, no one in Canada. I mean it. I was I was almost as big as I was now, six foot one eighty five in that tournament. I could skate. Like I mean, the next year I ended up playing junior. Of course, things evened out when everybody. I, I was a lot bigger than everybody, um, but I had that talent. It was genetic, obviously. But what happened? Part of it. What happened, Tom, is that. I didn't make the all-star team the first few years, but my dad came home and he was coaching. And there was a great senior hockey league here. People don't, and it still goes on. I, this is the first year I haven't played, to be honest, and I won't again now. But um, it's great because we have imports at that time uh, in the late 80s, early 90s. We had, well, Mario Roberge played here in 91, 92, 92, 93. Had a cup with the Montreal. Uh, Bill McDougal played for Port of Basque Mariners, got signed by Tampa Bay. The next year set the record in the AHL playoffs, 16 games, 52 points in the AHL. The year before, he's playing for the Port of Basque Mariners. We had Bill Riley played over here at the end of his career, Gordy Glant. Each team had four or five imports. So I was going up. My dad was coaching the senior and the junior team he coached, set the record, didn't lose a game, uh, and they went and won the Atlantic Championship, which is now it's all the Maritime Hockey League, and we feed players into it. But at the time... We sent a team, and it was really rare for them to win, but they did. So, and the rink was up the street from my house, so I had all kinds of free ice time. That's the truth. I would, oh. I would go up. I'm an only child, so I would have my buddies. You know, my dad can get us extra ice time. Honestly, if I had brothers or sisters, maybe it would be different. Wow. Um, at first, I didn't love hockey. I just loved my dad, and I was at the rink picking up pucks. And now the team goes off the ice. Dad would say, "Hey, stay out here as long as the, as long as Ponce Paolo, the Zamboni driver, lets you out here." And he would, he didn't care. He'd let us on until. What, what was his name? What was his name again? What? Fonz You're not going to believe this. His name was Tony Fonsfaulo. Now listen to this, how it comes full circle. He's a legend. You can look that up, Tony Fonz, uh, Alphonse. Uh, they call all call him Fonz. 
He's a legend here. He would wear his tux to, to the games, to the junior and senior, senior games, be packed. And, and, and people loved him. And right now, as I, this is his house. He had a stroke last year. Oh. And Fonts, his house, went, and him and my mom went way back. Mount Pearl now is probably 40,000. Back when it was 20 houses, right. right? This is one of them. It used to be cabins from St. John. And I'm living, not only that, am I living in his house. I base my character in Shorzy on him. That's oh. who I'm doing. I, oh. I had to. We used to, we would imitate him so much we would be at the rink. Oh, come on, Fonz, let us out on the ice, by Fonz, come on, right? And, <laughs> go away, young Ryan, go on. I'll give you a half hour. That's it. That's all you're getting, right? And and so then we'd stay out there and play more. But I mean, I was getting. So not only did that come full circle, um, but I was getting. Oh God, I don't know between at least five extra hours because I lived at the rink, and you know you start to get too good, it becomes addictive, right? Then we started yeah. winning and. We won my my group. It, you got to be from a good group, man. And we were just in the sports all the time. And we won the baseball, the soccer, the ball hockey, and the hockey provincials. Got to go to the nationals and all of that stuff. So growing up, it was like we had a group that we were really, really like I never thought personally about it until I went to Quebec. It was almost sad that I, I was like, because they were coming down to approach me. And I was like, well, what about Gary Clark and Craig Hodge? Like they could come with me. They're really... But I, I started to see that I was a blue chip and I was separating. So anyway, to answer, I don't, I'm not sure what you asked. I think I just had <laughs> 20 questions in one. Well, it was great. It was great. It was great having you on the show. We're going to leave now. <laughs> well, Tom, also Terry's dad played in WHA too, so he had the bloodline. I forgot know, about that's right. I did forget about that. Yeah, right. Dad, well. dad, dad coached and was <laughs> my grandfather. Guys, this is truth. My dad, my dad coached. If I, he was always there for me, and he had that ice time. But he was getting paid to do it, right? And he was teaching. Um, so if 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 I wasn't, if I didn't do that, I wouldn't have been around my dad. And I really yeah. looked up to him and I heard the stories. He, he retired when I was four or five. So I'd heard all the stories. And obviously, it's big news in Mount Pearl. You're, and not only did he play in the WHA, he played one year and he set the uh, goal, or the shorthanded goal record. He had six. Oh, wow. he, he didn't do much but kill penalties. It was his first year. Right. And he, when, when he got his degree... He came back. He, he went back to Kalamazoo twice, had like 100 points, and he didn't get up and said, screw it. He, Dad grew up from a poor family, and he, hockey to him was a vehicle to get his free education. He came sure. back and started teaching right away, um, which probably people wouldn't understand today, but I do, given where he came from. So, But he, he knew all about it. But my, my grandfather, uh, Bill Norris, you see, I give him a lot of the early credit. He died when I was 13, 14, died when I was 14. And... Uh, but he's on my mom's side, Bill Norris. He was on the HMS Bulldog that uh, U571 is based on it. He lost his arm, too. He lost it. My pop only had his left arm, and he was right-handed. But he was on that ship, the HMS Bulldog, oh. that captured the, God, the Enigma machine, I think it was yeah, called, I that remember, cracked I all the codes. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, he yeah. was on it. And that, that, so my grandfather, and he built my mom and dad's house, what they're living in now, Really early on, like before my dad was in the picture, my mom was a kid. It was in the 50s. Then this house, the Fowlows that I'm in now, was just a, and it was cabins. I guess people were thinking that way, but my grandfather always could seek out a good deal. And what he did then, when Mount Pearl started to be established, he built the uh, Legion, literally built it with his hands and his, with his hand and his friends that came back from the war, the Mount Pearl Legion there. So they would go up, and each day, you know, these war vets would be telling stories, and much like us ex-hockey players in a oh, room, yeah. and they would. Oh, yeah. You know, and they knew that I was good and they would come to some games. But it was more hearing about that camaraderie. And, you know, again, I'm an only child. So I was soaking all this up like a sponge. A lot of it was osmosis. But I really 
remember like learning that team game from them, not really from being on the ice. Sure. I was just this guy who was skating all around and I started to become real good. And I remember when I did go to BC thinking, you know, uh, how many times that you visualize and my pop and his friends came up. So there's as much that that was off the ice that was kind of, I, I don't know, like I, I learned how to be a teammate. And he came sure. to everything I should mention. He came to all my sports. Dad, if I asked my dad, he would have gone to something. You really want me to be there, Terry? I will. Otherwise, I mean, it. months would yeah. go by. Yeah. I don't mean that in any bad. That's <clears> just the way dad was. Did you did you realize the uh, impact that your grandfather and your father were having on you at the time? See, I didn't. Like growing up on the farm, I didn't realize all the great stuff I was getting. From it. It's later on in life that I realized, man, I wouldn't be who I was if it wasn't for them. Yeah, you're right. I, I know I, I didn't realize right. any of it. I was ignorant to all of it. I just thought it's what people do growing yeah. up. Yeah. And as I... And when my, my grandfather died, I had lots of time to reminisce on that. And it was just, it was the year, well, it was the year that I ended up, later in that year, I ended up going away to, to play. I, I mean, I played junior at 14, right? And I remember going like, and, and even that, my dad got a lot of shit, right? Like, I'm 14 years old. Oh, hold on, hold on. We got the cat here. The cat's <laughs> cuddling up to Terry. That's cute. I know you can't see it on the show, but trust me, it's cute. Um, so, um. My dad got a lot of shit. Like I was 14 and that year, I don't recall, it's on elite prospects, I would think, my Quinnell stats. I think in like 40 odd games, I know I had 200 plus penalty minutes. Oh. I ended up leading the team in scoring, but it could have gone the other way. Like right. if I, I really had to sack up, I remember I went out there and it was violent. It was a violent league. There was the BC Junior League and the Rocky Mountain Junior Hockey League. And the Rocky Mountain was where a lot of the guys went to the WHL or just were career you know, 500 penalty minute guys in junior A. Right. And then the BCJ, a lot of those guys went to college like Paul Correa. So um, at that time, I mean, I went to Quinnell, right? A mill town was, you know, you go out in Quinnell and each night you're going to, people are going to have steel toe boots. You're going to be chewing while they're drinking and you're going to hear John Denver. There's, there, you know, the, it's one of those kind of places, right. man. And I embrace it. I do. I really do. Right. I've lived all over. And it was so, really so when you up, left home, yeah. Left yeah. home. You didn't go directly to Tri-Cities. You played some two That's years. That's what in- happened. No, Tri-City. Okay. Where, see, uh, the draft out west is when you're 14. Guys, right. I didn't know what to do. To go back to my dad, at least he kind of knew. And he, I mean, this was – dad would have been – I mean, he was young. Dad was in his mid-20s when he retired. So I guess he would have been only like 30 – late 30s or 40 then. Late 30s. So he still had all kinds of contacts. So I remember, like, he did his homework. I didn't know much about it. I went to the Quebec Pee Wee Tournament, and Chico Resch was there. Right. And, and recommended there's for those that live out West or have been out there or scouting, there used to be, I don't know if there still is a tournament called the Vancouver super series. And it was oh. all the prospects from out West. I remember there was a Northwest USA was a team, Northern Alberta, Southern Alberta, um, Winnipeg, BC team, Vancouver, all that. Right. But there was never been a team from out East, like at this far East anyway. So what happened was, Tri-City were there and recommended me go and play for the Vancouver team. Now, when I came home, because the only, like, we had John Slaney, who went ninth overall in 91, which would have been around then, and he scored the big goal for Canada in Saskatoon. And and there was players here that weren't really John Slaney, but they weren't far off. And we're going, if our one representative in the 80s, and no one, my dad, there was a bunch in the 70s, but the 80s, there really wasn't anybody in the NHL from Newfoundland. So Slaney comes out, someone like me, and I'm going, like he's pretty good, and he went ninth overall in the world. There must be players that can like be, be just play average in major junior. Sure. There has to be. Sure. So yeah. you know, like if he's that good, 
what about Danny Cleary and Harold Drukin? I don't understand this. That's what ended up happening. So we came when when I got back with this invite, my dad said, you know what? I think we owe it to everybody here. You got an opportunity. Let's take a team out there. And, you know, because there's it's not just you. Like if they could only see because Cleary was Cleary. Danny Cleary is a year younger than me. But his draft year was even younger because he's born That's late right. in the year. That's and right. he was ripping it up like I was. Yeah. So I knew that and, and there was a Harold Drukin. And then shortly after that, uh, Ryan Clough, Michael Ryder, Adam Party, Luke Adam. Then it hit then. But yeah. until then, and it's true, we went out. And like I said, I played all those sports growing up, right? So baseball, soccer, ball hockey, and ice hockey. And I'd gone to the Atlantics or the Nationals. Well, the Nationals in each sport at least once. So, and it's funny. Because it was the same when we took Team Newfoundland to Vancouver. It was just like all the other times. Play the host first game. So the host win, it wins 8-1. to one. Everybody gets a free piece of pizza. And those newfies try hard, right? That's what we were used to. <laughs> but Joe Sackick was there just coming into his own. He dropped the puck. We were in Burnaby, BC. Could have been the Sun God Arena if you're out that way. I think it was called that. And it was packed in the summer. I kid you not to see us play. And... And I played a year young. My dad said, you go with, I'm a 77 birthday. He said, you go with the 76s. There is actually a great talent crop. And a, a guy that you might have had, Tom, I don't know if you ever had Kurt Walsh with yeah. you. Yes, we did. Oh, was on yeah. that team. There's, a, there's a direct example. He's wow. from Conception Bay. Never would have, and, and his team wasn't great. So he never would have gotten off the island. Never right. would have gotten seen. That was the first time he'd been on a plane. Oh, is that right? right? So we go out there. He ends up, so fast forward three years, he goes third round to Buffalo. Like, you know, and he was pretty good, but he wasn't our best. But So it was like that. Like, we had this group of players that were just waiting to be noticed. That's cool. So um, anyway, first game, we tied it up. I tied it up off my ass with about seven seconds left and then gave it to a guy. His helmet came off. We put it up. Uh, six, six, it ends. They had a five on three for like the last minute. We held them off. We oh. were elated. We couldn't believe that we went in and they had, uh, got some, some great players on that team. And now it's six to six. We, and we didn't win one game, the tournament we lost, we either tied or lost by a goal, each one, except the last game. And I mean, we played Northern Alberta. It was Ryan Smith was there. Chris Dingman, Lankow, like I said, Sugar Ray Schultz, uh, Jason Parolin was for BC, um, Vern Beardy, uh, Mike Leclerc, a, a lot of guys that ended up going in the next few years that I'd play against in the Western League. Shane Doan, Jerome McGinley. Oh, right. yeah. Like they were all playing and we did well. So long story short, the very last day, it's funny. First time I ever played hungover. <laughs> so we we were from Newfoundland, obviously Newfoundland Geo Selects, but we never had any program like that over here. So we all hated each other. So it was so great to actually play oh. together, you know. Right. And go out there as a group, and we all snuck in. We put uh, we put our hats on like this, and we put Vaseline and pepper all over our faces. <laughs> I, that was my idea. <laughs> Is that your idea? Vaseline and pepper. That's back good. here at the first few bars I'd been into. Oh, that's and, funny. Uh, that's funny. And to to look like stubble, right? And we got into the, some strip clubs out there. We had a few beers. I remember the next day going, boys, the tournament's over. You know, I mean, we're 15 or 14, but I know it's a different world, yeah, yeah. Um, but going, okay, but, you know, let's do something here. And we knew we had some interest and right off the puck dropped against Manitoba and five guys, all of us dropped our gloves and the Western League loved it at the time. Now it would be, I could yeah, think it would be on. considered yeah. one yeah. of the, and it was, it was unsportsmanlike, but given the time and we knew what it was all about, it was just, it's a great memory, but right after the game, I will never, ever forget it. There was an NHLer at the time that was in his prime, Bob Rouse, and he came down to talk yeah. to us, give us like a motivational thing. And he came in again after, 
and was really impressed and uh all kinds of scouts and i'd say it wasn't what ended up happening was about eight or nine guys off that team kurt kurt probably being the biggest got drafted in the third round mike Pittman went in the sixth round of chicago a couple years later and a bunch just went and played junior a so it really did open the door i, I give my dad that credit right. i wasn't really thinking that way i'm glad it worked out but it opened the door. Now, what happened to answer your question? I'm going long. I know. No, you're not. Um, no, no, no. We talking about you asked you <laughs> you asked about Quinnell. So now that I'm out there, I had to spend two years not in the Western League and the drafts when you're 14, but I still wasn't drafted yet. Oh, so they had to really figure this out. So Chico Resch and Ron Toygo, who owned all the white spots in Vancouver, now oh, I yeah. think he owns the Vancouver Giants, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Um, they took me out personally, and they my dad was there. My dad was a teacher. So uh, they gave him a bit of a golden handshake, but legally, of course, I, I, they, he said, all I, all I can do is substitute teach. And you want us to come out here. I'm not letting Terry go on his own when he's 14. Uh, the next year he would, but uh, that's what happened. So they, he, I remember quote unquote, Chico said, quote unquote, we'll hide you in Quinnell. So what happened was, and that Quinnell was like, you know, not in Vancouver. It was, it, it's called Northern BC, but it's technically central. It's not quite up as far as Prince George, but um it was a tough league. I went there. Guys, I don't I, I don't really recall. I don't even know if it was meant that I would play on the junior team, but I went to Bantam practice again. It was like, you know, it was like shooting fish in a barrel, picking time. So I went then to uh I went to Midget. I was gonna play and I had my cage on, and then guys were going out for the junior team, and I was like, you know, and I don't know if that was part of it. I, I spoke Porta Basque Mariners with uh, Bill McDougall, ironically, their coach, Ron Coleman, was out there. And he was like, hey, why don't you come out for the junior team? As soon as I put on the half visor, I didn't want to ever play minor hockey again. I was like, this is great. It felt so free. Oh, and we had a pretty tough team. Um, and it, the, the first, I know we'll get there, so I might as well tell you. But I, I, I didn't know what to do. I was a little bit nervous, to be honest with you. And the first game, I got shit kicked. So the second game, I came back put hot sauce all over my hands, rubbed it in a guy's eyes, kicked the shit out of him, lost my virginity that night, and never looked back. <laughs> Hold on. I, I like the visual of a bunch of 14 and 15-year-old little boys with Vaseline and pepper on, yeah. their, on their face, hungover, uh, yeah. going out and getting a brawl in a game, too. That's a good Canadian lad right there, right? Yeah, it's, it, uh, was a, it was a fantastic memory. And that's how I know when people go, young people don't get hung over them. I remember specifically, I was 14, man, and it did. We, you know, I'm not saying we couldn't deal with it, but that was the first time that you wake up and they got the cobwebs, you know, before I might've had a beer at my, you know, my, my sure. dad's fridge yeah. or something. I, I don't really remember. Right to a strip joint too. Coming that's, of age like tournament. Yeah. Right to a strip joint too. That's classic. That's a mm. Canadian, Canadian ballet. Yeah. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom, a performance enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate.
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com match. Just go to Indeed.com match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Yeah. All right. So you finally get to uh, try cities in. How does that go? Oh, man, it was so much. So that year it was great. Now, it was great to be in Quinnell for those two years because I did really I had to fend for myself. I mean, I learned how to fight is one thing, but the Western League was a big boys league. And I led my junior team both years in scoring as a Bantam. Right, Two of my Bantam years, I led a junior team in scoring. So I went in third overall in the West. Right. I went in thinking. I've never been cocky. I, I really respected the Western League, but I went in, uh, I don't want to say too comfortable, but my first camp that I, now my first game as a 15-year-old, I got called up, I fought Kale Hulse. I had no problem, oh. and he kicked shit out of me. Big lefty, though. And um, well, I got an assist later that game. I think it was in the playoffs. And I, so I could kind of get a read out there. I'm not saying, I really respected the WHL, but I thought that maybe the transition would be a little bit more, fluid is 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 the uh mm-hmm. word maybe sure. i'm looking for so i went in we didn't have a great team and to be honest that first year in quinnell or in tri-cities 93 94 it's great i had some guys from surrey came in with me now sheldon also was in that team quinnell okay that i just oh. told you about oh. but what happened was when i went there it was it was it was all fun the stories i told you but I had bitten off a little bit more than I could chew. There was no one, even 16 year olds on the team. So Sheldon called tri city and said, Hey man, you want, you want Terry to excel, bring in someone that you listed. That's, you know, around his age. And that's how Sheldon came in. So I went into tri city with him and a guy named Ryan Marsh. So it was, it was nice that way. And the transition as far as like off ice was fine. Even the roughness was fine because other guys are coming in. I'm going in as a 16-year-old. It's my third-year junior. Sure. I got like 26 fights under my belt. You know what I mean? Like, I'm yeah. not worried about any of that, whereas B.J. Young, second-rounder, great player from Alaska who would go on to have 58 goals in the Western League with Red Deer. My last year we played together. Great friend, obviously. Get into that later. But B.J., he was coming from Alaska Bantam, right? So I had a head start on all sure. these guys. But we had a bad team, and we had a few real assholes on the team. And, and, on and on we Tri-Cities? Yeah, at the oh, very first, the older oh. guys that we ended up getting rid of. But and oh. I think halfway through the year, Jerry Johansson and Rick Kozabek, our, our coach and director of player development, um, they they just decided to go all in and, and traded older guys and gave young guys a chance. But at the end of that year, this is this is what I mean. I think I had a, a decent sixteen year old year. I had thirty three points, I believe, in sixty one games, one hundred and seventy six minutes. Ooh. Uh, with with no tens counted, they didn't count tens in the Western League because it was oh. getting out of hand. Yep. So I thought that was a pretty good year, uh, but I could tell that, and because there was times during the year that I mean it was our team to run with, and I it, I just thought I had a few chances, like and it was on me, but really I could have done better. I really remember thinking that. So I went back 
so the first year as far as transitions really wasn't much of one. I looked at it as almost an extension. It was my third year junior yeah. and I should kind of be doing more. That's really what I thought, but I'm used to being the star in Quinnell. Okay. Now this is the Western league and Damon Lankow, who I talked about earlier, he's turning it on. I don't even think he was a draft pick. He's coming in and I'm going, this guy's unreal. So to, to get back to your question, as a 17 year old, I come in my second year in Tri-City. Now it's my fourth year junior, but I had to, I believe not that I never, ever would ask my dad like back then. And he respected the fact that the game had changed. And he was never in my ear, but I remember him going like, I don't know if you're a better skater than David Lankow. Right. And I remember Bob Lauk's doing that and going, look, I want to play you and you're a big pick, but if it's center, then you're going to have to go second line. But he goes, you're, you're not a great skater. I think you'd compliment Damon Lankow really well. You're a good fighter. He said, you're a decent hitter, and you like to go in the corner first, which I did. So he said, I think it makes sense for you to play left wing, get the puck out the lengths. It'll kind of work. And it did. So it's weird because my draft by the end of my draft year, I'd end up going eighth overall in the world, which is and people back here who haven't seen me play are thinking, oh, well, you know, of course, Terry was a star here, and he had, but I had to change my game. I left right. here as a finesse centerman. No one even knew I could throw a punch. They think you were nuts We even just saying it. I was ripping it up. Now I go there, and by the time I'm actually drafted, a big part of it, I had 25 fights in my draft year. I had more assists than goals. I had 50, large part playing on Damon's line, but he went from 32, I think, to 67. He led the whole league. Right. So we really complement each other well. So by the end of my second year which would have been my draft year in tri-cities it was like the transition had fully taken place but in between there there were some murky grounds that might not look murky on hockey db but i went from a, a playmaking centerman to a hard-nosed winger and i also saw it was the age of the power forward mm-hmm. i got img talking to me i've got i got hockey cards i know what people are digging i know the scouts after games are loving not only that i got a hat trick that i grabbed wade belak after the hat trick after i had my points that's what scouts liked, and I just right. wasn't scared, so I went that direction with it. Right. So, did your your personality was it like it is now when you were playing junior hockey? Yeah, yeah. So, like, if anybody knows Damon Lankow, he hardly ever talks at all. Yeah. So, you two guys playing on the same line, <laughs> you had to be looking at you. Like... Yeah, you you would. It's one of those things. Sometimes two opposites attract. Yeah. Oh yeah. And uh, it really, it, it really was a um, what's the word? Our relationship was symbiotic. It, Ooh, we, nice. We, Nice. We, we we really helped each other grow, but it wasn't always verbal. Yeah. yeah. Well, it was always verbal with you. That with Langs. Yeah. Langs went all <laughs> went along with it. Langs trusted me on the okay. ice or oh, off the ice. Okay. Right? He, he trusted me. But honestly, it didn't take a lot to make Langs happy. You ask anybody. Yeah, that is true. Whoever played with him, Langs needed uh, a, a nice stereo. Decent yeah, give him a, or give him a uh, fishing rod, too. He loves to fish. Yep. Yeah. Fishing rod. Likes to go hunting and fishing. Yeah. Won't he? Won't won't say a peep likes yeah. his playstation right like he, <laughs> a man of, of simple tastes i represented him uh he left i left img and then he he came with me and i his best client have never talked about anything his wife would call me once in a while but uh you know, low maintenance sign the sign the contract that's cool sorry how so, come uh, you didn't go with with tom as your agent back then because well, i had mike barnett so we were working together he was actually oh gotcha yeah. okay yeah yeah and barnett barnett had come so Honestly, guys, to go back and, and, and intertwine it all together with another short story this time. But when I was in Quinnell and I'd gone out there right off the bat, Mike Barnett had heard about it because, yeah. I, again, Tri-City were going to hide me. Or Yeah. And there was a story on TSN immediately, Jim Van Horn. It was called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. And I don't know what the bad and the ugly were, but I was the good. Right. And now it would probably be the bad. Again, like, <laughs> but uh, getting in fights. But um, 
that so that once that story was on and it was before it was before Christmas, so it was before the NHL draft. You can get it on YouTube. It was called The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly. At, at Terry Ryan moves to Cornell, I think it is on YouTube. And what at, at that point, I knew I was the draft was about to happen. Let me think. I I, I think the draft was in January. So that story came on in November and pretty much alerted everybody in Western Canada, really what my plans were and what was going to happen. It got a little bit hectic after that, but right. So uh, you get drafted by Montreal Canadiens eighth overall. Yeah. So you go back to junior for another year. Yeah. And sorry, sorry, Tom. Sorry. Wait, I was off. I, I forgot to finish with point being, sorry, you asked me about Burnett. Burnett showed up at my door that year. Okay. Oh, okay. And that's when he, that's when he showed up at my door and he said, I just signed the youngest player I've ever signed. Radic Bonk. Now you'll be the, you'll be the youngest. And my dad's first words were, if you think Terry's good, go to Harbor Grace, Newfoundland right now and watch Daniel Cleary. That's, I swear to God, that's a true story. Okay. Sorry to cut you off. I just, no, that's fine. That's a good story. I like that. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Actually, I actually went out there when I was working with IMG to see Cleary and his family too. They lived on the rock. I mean, it was, they talk about rock. Danny Cleary is from Harbor Grace, which is Cupid's is part of Harbor Grace, which is the oldest settled European uh, so I say European because obviously there was indigenous here, but you know, as far as European settlers in the early 1600s, um, Cupid's John guide settled in Cupid's right across the Harbor is it's all part of Harbor Grace's Riverhead where Danny's from. Right. Yeah, it and it's the down. same. A lot of the Clary's go back hundreds of years, right? Yeah. Okay. So you get drafted eighth overall by Montreal. What happens then? You go to training camp. Yeah, it was good. Well, I'll tell you, I, it was humming along. I had a lot of confidence. I, Montreal were my favorite team. I had no idea I was going to go there. It was funny. I, I think there was 26 teams in the league at the time. Mm-hmm. And I, I only remember two teams not interviewing me, and it was Detroit and Montreal. Oh. Um, right. I was in the elevator on the way to my seats, and Doug Robinson, their head scout, says, hey, uh, good year. You know, you mix it up. You like to score goals. Um, you know, smart. Uh, you know, real play with heart and soul. And I'm like, yeah. And then he said, good Memorial Cup. And I looked at him and my dad goes, he thinks you're Shane Doan. And I, I kind of went with it. I just did, went he, with it. did he really yeah. think you're Shane oh, And good. then 20 minutes later, they drafted me. But um, the thing no, hold is. On, hold on, hold on there. So he, the scout thought that you were Shane Doan. Doug Robinson, their head scout. And then they drafted you third overall or eighth overall in the draft. Yeah. And I'd been through like, like I knew, I, I don't mind saying it now. It's years later. I knew if nothing else at 11, which is funny, that's where Iggy went. But I knew I was going to Dallas. I know it, and I've I've, I've run into Craig Button since, and he's told me. And, they, like, not only did it go well with them, but they flew me to Toronto for, like, a follow-up interview. And all the answers, like, I just remember acing it. It was like, and their test was, like, SATs on top of, it was, a, it, there was, the questions were from mathematical to ethical to, like, there was all kinds of different boxes to check and right. i remember going you know because i was a decent student too and not everywhere so i said this couldn't have gone any better and they're picking 11 i think i was rated 12 but i was like and i knew it they told me and not only that boston gave me a good idea i was going to go there they were picking nine right. and i remember i don't know which scout but they were like geez who's your favorite player so technically it was any one of the above chris nyland rick tockett cam neely all those guys that you know when it, like, neely was like maybe a little bit up here you know nylon was more okay i can try to get 20 goals kind of right. thing and then mix it up right not to disrespect chris nylon but um 
you know, uh, with with Neely. So I just blurted that out there. I was like, right. you know, I love playing like Cam Neely. He's my favorite player, and he was one of them. But I remember them going, yeah, with a, with a name like Ryan, an Irish name in Boston, and you yeah. like playing like cool. that. And they told me, they said, whoever we pick, we're going to keep him up here all year, and he probably won't play a lot, but we're, that's our philosophy. And they ended up taking Kyle McLaren, who out of all of us was probably the most raw because he was about 6'4", like 170. Yeah. I mean, he was, a, he was a rake. But I'm not saying it was a bad decision. Right. I, I just – he they, they were true to their word now when i when i went though tom the montreal were, were great to me serge chabard drafted me jacques demers really the the beginning of the end in montreal for me was immediate it was unfortunate but patrick Waugh when he when he uh demanded a trade and he got traded everybody got fired and there everybody wow. montreal weren't really known for picking tough westerners from newfoundland either yeah. either Right. Yeah. It, you know, it was a weird time to. So all of us, me, Matt Higgins, Brad Brown, I remember, Turner Stevenson. I remember going, I don't know if this is great for any of us. No. And it wasn't. And right. it wasn't. At least not in Montreal. So what happened then? I, I forget what happened to you then. Did you get traded? Here's what happened, man. I went. I was uh, 19. I went back and I had a really my philosophy was always I can't make myself go score, man, but I can grab somebody and I can play with heart. And I did. And 96, 97 would have been my 19 year old year. I could have gone back to junior. But at the end of camp, Mario Chambly called me in. And he said, uh, you know, we you try city are in last place. And uh, we get, what, what are you going to do? Get more than 50 goals and more than 25 fights. Like, I don't know if we want you doing that. We think you can gain more from practicing up here and going back at the deadline, which is exactly what happened. I practiced. I did get four games in. Um, which was awesome. And I practiced with those guys. I lived with Darcy Tucker. Tucker was hanging out with Corson a lot. Corson, I learned a lot from. It was, uh, and Darcy ended up marrying Shane's sister. Um, That's right. I, I, was, I was there that whole time. I lived with Darcy. So it was awesome. And I'd go there in the summertime and then they drafted Aaron Asham. And the plan I remember early on was to have me and Tucker and Asham as a line uh, with Tucker in the center. That was like more than once. Brought up to me. So that's what I thought kind of was going to happen. I was kind of excited for that. Now, when I was 20, Tom, so the next year, and I went to Red Deer. I didn't get in one fight. Uh, I had a, some concussion symptoms, so I didn't really. So when I went to Red Deer at the end of that 96, 97, at the deadline, I set the record in playoff for goals for three rounds. I had 18 in, in 16 games. In 16 regular season games, I had 35 points. Overall, I think I had 33 goals in 32 games. So... I really couldn't have been feeling much better about myself as a player. And I went in and my, in 97, 98, the beginning of camp, when they decided to send me down, I met Michelle Terrian and that changed everything. I, oh. I, he was at the time. Do I forgive him? Yes. Would I have been hard to, maybe, maybe from his perspective, hard to coach, I guess. I, I never thought I was, but why? What happened with stubborn? him? I hated him, and he hated oh, me oh, okay. immediately. Um, I'll tell you a couple stories. Again, I was a kid coming in. I could have dealt with this better. And at no point did I walk into his office and go, "Listen, Michelle, where are we here? Like, let's let's." I I, I wasn't mature, and neither was he. He was a first year coach, I believe. And with some piss and vinegar behind him, he just won in Granby. They hadn't won the Memorial Cup in Quebec in like twenty years, and. He just won it. So, and he had, we had some players on there. But he called me in his office once early on. And he said, I remember me and, and JF Hool and Scott King. Now, JF Hool was on my team in Fredericton. His dad was Ray Jean. He was oh. the 
the head, the, the GM in yep. Montreal. Sure. Scott yep. King was Dave King's son. Dave King was the, the assistant coach in Montreal. Man. So by, and they're both, especially King. King was a big time scorer. JF was a very, very effective two-way player. Um, but neither of them there just because their, their dads were in the organization. I'm sure it helped yep. when they were yep. drafted there. But like, but anyway, yeah, he called us in. Me being a first rounder, and I remember to some degree him saying, "Yeah, yeah, you." He said to King, "Your dad is up there." Yeah, yeah, Dave King, JF, oh, Rajon Rule, yeah, he's your dad. Yeah. Terry, first round pick, and he took a sip of his coffee and he said, "I don't give a fuck who you guys are, you punks. I send you down tomorrow." He so says that that, early, he said that to you. Those are the words. Yeah, he said that was you. early on. Wow. Yeah, uh, that was early on, and about eight games in, about eight games in, I'm not playing. Maybe six or eight. I'm not playing much. And he calls me in his office. But again, I I wasn't upset with him for not playing. Like, I really needed to adapt, too. I, I would have appreciated a few more minutes. But my first year, we affiliated with L.A.'s team. So, like, we were in Fredericton, but we had, like, Donald McLean, who's my age and was just come down from L.A., Eric Belanger, oh. uh, you know, Chris Schmidt. We have, we have, I mean, half our forwards are from the L.A. organization. Wow. So, it... Yeah, I, I don't recall being like upset at the coach I wasn't playing. I just wanted a chance and, and to kind sure. of, you know, get my feet wet in pro. And it was weird because I'd spent this time in Montreal the year before, but now I kind of went backwards and, and I, you know, needed confidence again. And so, anyway, he called me in and he sat me down. And Michelle would sit, I'd call him Mike. So, uh, what's up, Mike? He'd come in and he'd have his desk. And he'd have his chair, and it'd be always like a few inches higher than the chair of the player he was talking to. Oh, it was okay. one of those power move. He wasn't yeah. a small guy. It was like I, I used to say small man syndrome, but more more power move. Like I would expect Napoleon Bonaparte to do that, you know. Right. Um, it, it was like he was always thinking in war terms or something. You, you're a soldier, and I'm going to make you feel like one. So, yeah. and I had nothing in front of me, just a, a, a bare, barren chair, and I'm, I'm sitting out maybe ten or fifteen feet away. Feeling exposed and vulnerable, right? I, mm -hmm. I wasn't. I'm just telling you that's the yeah, setup. Sure. That's sure. the way the setup. So yeah. he sits, he sits down, he cracks a Coke and uh, lights up a dart. Okay. <laughs> so he's looking at me and like, I wait because I don't know what to say first. I mean, and then I thought like he called me in here. But now as I'm thinking about it, now we're like two minutes in. He still hasn't said anything. And now I'm thinking, okay, this is like a waiting game. Well, fuck him. I'm not going to say anything either. <laughs> <laughs> and then I just stared right directly into his eyes. And you know how awkward that is? It's awkward oh, yeah. if I just stare directly into your eyes and nothing else. And I'm like, and so that's what I did. And we just stared at each other. And he took a puff of that cigarette right down to the butt. <sighs> Get the fuck out of my office. That was it. That was he, and he had called you into the office. That was the meeting. Wow. I went, I said, what the fuck? I went back out into my dress, into the dressing room. I went, what just happened, man? And I told a few of the boys, and he, the guys that had had him in Granby just laughed, and they go, "Oh, Mike being Mike." I'm like, "No, Mike being Mike. I don't like that shit. I don't want these head games. Like, I want to know. I'm not saying I didn't fuck up before. I don't know. In junior, fuck. I don't know what. He missed curfew by 20 minutes. Skate the line. Show me, Terry, that you want to play. Go rock 'em, sock 'em. The next game, go try to beat Kamloops. Fight. Don't end up with a goal and assist. It's forgotten about, right? There was right. ways, or just talk to the coach, but. This was this weird mind game. Yeah. And that's a, that's a Mike Keenan level dick behavior. Yeah, right? well, I, I mentioned this on Knuckles Nylons podcast a while ago, and that's Tim Stapleton. He's, he had Keenan and he brought that up. Look, I, I, people tell these stories. Yeah. It 
it, that's just what life felt. And I hate all of a sudden. And I love hockey. I just finished playing. The only reason I didn't play senior this year is a 46 year old. Right. Um, and again, no other 40 year old. We won the Allen Cup of, of, of uh, four or five years ago. Like, you know, I mean, I'm talking high level senior. I love playing, man. Put myself out there, you know, hockey fights, whatever you name it. it I never got sick of that. I was always passionate and wanted to go to the rink. And I remember like not being able to put it into words. And then one day just going, you know, I fucking hate hockey. That's it. I fucking hate it. And it just became, and the next game after that. So a after he did that, he played me a lot the next game and I got a goal and I think two assists, if not three, like I had a big game and I came in afterwards. I kid you not. He called my parents right in front of him. It was if the is it was as as if the meeting didn't happen that I told you with the smoke. So I went in right after the game, man. He ripped me in his office after the game. I had my gear on. Called my parents. He's like, "Yeah, yeah, Terry's doing okay." And I'm like, "Jeez, he's going to be great." And get back. And then the next game, so that happened. I'm thinking everything's cool. The next game, my first shifts with 30 seconds left, and he grab not only gives me the tap, he like grabs me and like shoves just to let it shoves my jersey down so in my net and he says you go fight jeff Ware right now oh i hate that I was so mad like oh. you got to tell me when to fight and i looked into it and he was a bit of a wuss when he played oh yeah i'm like you gotta tell me yeah and it wasn't it was a power move yes because it was like seven to one or some shit yeah. and i did it i went out there i go jeff just go down or i'm coming and i because I, I didn't mind jeff Ware. i met him at the draft he was a nice fella wasn't very angry like he, right anyway that shit just happened a lot and that year tom I had 21 goals and 256 penalty minutes. I said, and again, Chris Nyland was one of my favorites. Those are Chris Nyland like numbers. Yeah. And I didn't, I said like really at this point, and then Tucker gets traded and starts to not only do well, he becomes like a star in Tampa. And then all of a sudden Brad Brown gets traded and then Craig Conroy gets traded and Jim Campbell and Valerie Burray, and they're all doing well. And then the next year I go back and I got sent down again and I'm like, okay. And I had to deal with it all the next year. And I, I just, I didn't have the capacity of me to, I, I should have just gone in man and shook, shook his hand. I know a lot of it with Michelle now years later was an act. That was his tactic to win, but I never really, the last thing he said to me really as a player, uh, the end of my second year, they, I go back, I had 55 games the next year, I think 40, 43 or 44 points and another like 200 minutes almost. I did my job, man. I'm like, if I can, I kept calling Reggie too. Well, when he would call Reggie, give, give Reggie on all his credit. He, he would call me and he wasn't an asshole. Mike was an asshole, but he wasn't a dick. I just disagreed with Reggie. He'd be like, well, you got to improve your skating. And I'd be like, well, trade me. Just, I don't want to be here, you know? Uh, but it was just a disagreement. Reggie treated me with respect. And I remember just saying, man, I, I hate it here. And uh, it was, we were in the playoffs that year. I had my second year in Freddie. And there was a guy playing for St. John Flames, Eric Sharon. And Eric uh, was a great, highly touted player, played, did play in the NHL. I followed him. I think he played on the World Junior Team, left shot defenseman, a bit bigger than me. Really respected him. And he missed, like, the last 20 games with a kidney problem, uh, maybe even 30. He, he had this major kidney problem, and he was just coming back into the lineup. And the place was sold out, and it was their first game of the second round against us. And, you know, they announced his name, and the place went crazy because he was coming back from a kidney problem, mm -hmm. right? And that's when Mike looked at me and said, take the wind out of their sails and go fight him right now. Jesus. And I went on the ice, and I, I can't believe I did it, but I grabbed him, and I regretted it immediately, and I was talking to him while I had him on the ice. 
I said, I'm sorry, man. This isn't me. This isn't me. I went off, and I, I think I got suspended for giving that one to the fans. Meanwhile, it was the mic. And I went in, and I took all, off all my gear. They said, I'll never. So just so everybody knows that uh, can't see, he, he gave him the finger to the crowd. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I got, it was the only suspension I recall ever getting. Right. And uh, I believe that was, that was in St. Yeah, that was in St. John coming. Now, look, I came in off after I never really get a chance to resolve it with Michelle Terry because I didn't go back. Rijan Hull offered me to go back to camp. They offered me the qualifying offer. They had to give me a raise and they did. Right. right? I just was under the impression that I wouldn't, I, I would only go back to Quebec. Reggie made it seem like I would be the first call up. I thought that was a bit of a slap in the face, but at the same time, if I did, they had a record number of injuries. Aaron Asham got into the NHL that way. Matt Higgins that year. So, and really I, I was tripping over my bottom lip. I should have handled it better. And yeah. I totally forgive Michelle Therrien. I know that most of it was tactic. It's unfortunate because I finally did. I finally got free and I went to Dallas and I hurt my ankle in camp. And it was a high ankle sprain and I didn't have three years to wear. And I just, I just kept coming back because I was trying to sign a contract and I just fucked it up. And to be honest with you, when, when you asked what happened. So there ended up being an egg on my face because of that decision. I didn't want to go back and... I really, really do take as much responsibility because right. I could have handled it much better. I could have spoken with Mike. I don't. I didn't like his tactics, right. but I didn't even let Michelle. I, what, you didn't, I didn't even really run to the GM. I didn't tell Reggie about most yeah. of this. Yeah. Mike would smoke on our bus. Everybody right. knew he was ignorant. Right. You know, he, he wasn't. That wasn't a secret. Right. So I figured he's he's that open about it. Then that's their that's what they're going for. I guess right. right? They want. Right. So but, just as everybody understands, so they gave you a qualifying offer. So back then it's a little bit different. They give you a qualifying offer. They don't have to. They could just release you, but they gave you that qualifying yeah. offer with the raise. You don't have to accept that. You did not. You're a free agent at that point. Now you're down to Dallas without a contract, trying to get a contract. I went right? to St. John's first. St. John's played for the Maple Leafs, right. uh, which, which I was basically, I guess you could say, I wasn't on loan, but just I signed with the city of St. John's. I was waiting. I hadn't signed with Montreal. It was a lot of bullshit, and I realized, too, when I was playing with the Leafs because I hadn't changed as a player, but I'm not going to play ahead of a prospect. They got a guy, Adam Mayer, I remember. Say sure. Kevin Adams was there. I mean, there's lots of great players there. Sean Thornton. Mm-hmm. I ended up playing, for the most part, with Thornton, fighting a bit, uh, third, fourth line, which I'm not complaining about, but I, I realized when I went there, there was something positive to being in the Montreal system because I'm owned by them. So at some point, you know, like like I said with, with Tyrion, when I say those things, people thought, oh, Montreal didn't give you a chance. No, that's the thing. Yeah. They didn't. I think they were going to. I just hated Michelle. Ter- I had stats under him. It wasn't that he didn't play me. I just didn't like him. Right. Right? So put that into perspective. I, I would have played more. I kind of talked myself out of it. Like yeah. I didn't go back. So it, it, it was nothing that the Montreal Canadiens did over. They treated me really well up there, man. I, I got to make some friendships for life. I still go up. I went to an alumni I, a game. Last month, I took my daughter to I her saw first that. game. I saw that. Yeah, he had the line. And I sat with Red or Reggie got me tickets to the alumni, and I sat with Gilbert Dion. And the, the time before that, I sat with Reggie. Like, I, there's no hard feelings. Trust right. me, I'm I'm happy to have worn the crest. Michelle Therrien was ignorant. I wish I could have dealt with it better, but I totally forgive him. And I assume he learned a lot. I mean, he's still in the game. He coached yeah. for a while. I, Everybody learns. It was a bad timing on my part. Yeah, well, it's, it sounds like for like a layperson, they just suck the joy out of your job. Yeah, and, you know, you just you you once that's gone, it's hard to, to keep doing it. You know, it is true. And you know what's funny is uh, I'll tell you guys. There's my my athletic career. I look at in, in two 
different parts. And it's, part one was about to end here, the stories I told you. But after I hurt myself in Dallas, I went to Boise. I went my last two years pro. You can look at those teams I played on. I was shooting it with cortisone, and I said, fuck it. I've never been a free agent. And I, I wanted to go to Cincinnati. I wanted to go to Orlando, Boise. I like those places, uh, Colorado Springs. So I signed there knowing that I would be done. I, I, I just I was I was borrowed time because my ankle, but I knew I was never getting back to the show anyway. And I like those places. And they gave me a great minor league deal to play. I played my last pro game in Orlando. We won. There's more to life. But but after it, the coach for ball hockey team, Canada, George Gortzos, phoned me. And I owe so much to George Gortzos, man. Uh, he. He he called and, and ball hockey in pockets of the world is big. Newfoundland it is, but I could never really play the high level nationals because if I get injured, I, I, I think there was, it would have been stupid to be an NHL prospect and get hurt playing ball hockey in the summer. So, but after that, he said, I know you're a good player and with the world championships, this was 2003 or in Sierra, Switzerland. And he said, I think you should, you should come. And, you know, I, and he goes, you got to play in the nationals and then you can go. So I played the nationals and I was pretty good and it didn't hurt when I ran. It, for some reason, the high ankle sprain, it's because the skate boot is so sure. locked in. Yeah, but sure. when I when I got low cut shoes as opposed to high cut, I, I didn't really feel it at all. So I went and I and we won, man. And I, I got one shift in the championship game and only when we made it three to one over Czech Republic. And I was crying on the bench. I just couldn't believe it. I'm, I'm going to get a world championship ring. And and he called me in and he said, Terry, look, I didn't have you here for this tournament. Because I said, I figured because I'm not good enough to be on the team. But he said, you are, but you, you're raw. But he said, it's every two years, and I want you to come back in 05 ready. And he said, you're going to be 05, 7, 9, 11. We're going to have you. You're going to be part of this program. And he said, you're a renegade. And he said, you just, you're very misunderstood because you're so out there. And he goes, you know, like as soon as we got over to Switzerland, we get on the beers. First day, right, with George. First day and last day. It's a ball hockey tournament. you got to hydrate so there's no booze and jeering. But. You know, I got up on stage and I'm singing and dancing. He goes, that's it. He goes, you're just so out there and you're, you're like a caricature. But he goes, you need that leash. And if you can promise me that you're going to be smart and you're going to train. And, and I did. I said, Jesus, yes. What do I have to do? Oh, five went back and we won it. Alexander Burroughs was MVP, one of the best players in the world. And oh, uh, seven, I was an all star. And now I'm going to the World Masters for my eighth, I think, world championship in August in Buffalo. It'll probably be my last one. With It's over uh, 34, but most guys tend to be in their 30s for it now. So I'm, I'm getting up there. But I, it's going to be my last tournament. But that's how much ball hockey. T- I became a ball hockey player, for lack of a better way to put it. I'm in the Ball Hockey Hall of Fame. I never would have thought. In, Come on. In, are you really? Wow. In Canada. Yeah, wow. CBH. So, and Newfoundland, we, we got a national championship in there in 2010. Teddy Purcell played on our team. Adam Party, a bunch of pro guys. So I, we, we, you know, it's a, it's a thing. If people... I'm not talking just like street hockey on a cul-de-sac. It's, you know, there, there's a double or ISBHL, the International Street and Ball Hockey Federation. The world's last year were in Czech Republic. Like I said, they're in Buffalo now. You represent your country. I think at some point it'll probably, I mean, the more people technically play ball hockey than ice hockey because you just need a sure. stick yeah. really and a ball. So, uh, yeah. but that's, I, I couldn't do anything else and I was still kind of competitive. So, I give George that credit, but I, that's what he said to me. He said, you know, Michelle Therrien didn't really get you, but he didn't try to, and I didn't get him, and I didn't try right. to. So, right. And it's easy to look back now and say you should have handled it differently, but when you're a young person like that, you just, yeah, you don't know. There's no experience. All right, so let's, know, let's and, get to and, the really important yeah. stuff here. Yeah. The movie star, well, the, the book writer. Well, hold on. We got to, because Tom doesn't watch TV, so when we get to that, I'll have to coach him through this, so you'll have to <laughs> tell him, Terry. Yeah, that's where we're going. That's where we're going. <laughs> 
Okay, so what happens? Okay, so you quit the game. Now all of a sudden you turn into this world famous wow. like John Wayne character, right? Man, there's such. I so you know what happened? All? Yeah, I was so depressed. I uh, I uh, I was told, and I had the bad ankle, so I was going to go to Europe. Like it wasn't just NHL to me. I was like, I can see the world for free. And then last year in Orlando, I really, really we won, but I it was the Atlantic Coast League. I shot it with so much cortisone, and so. I, I, I was going to go overseas, and my lawyer here said I was waiting on a settlement, which I didn't get because I played those nine games in Orlando and then playoffs. So stupid. I'd already signed my retirement papers. I had like $2 million from insurance, and I didn't get any of it. Oh. But I, I was still waiting on at least some of it. And oh, So um, you had disability insurance, career-ending disability insurance. I, yeah. But you played. I, okay. So that's why I couldn't go to Europe. So I was really upset. So I came home here for, for the first year, and I didn't play senior hockey or anything. I put on weight. I got divorced. So right now I'm, I don't know, 200, you know, in my ball hockey. I'm, I'm usually don't go under two, 190, and I don't go over 200. But that year I, I got real uh, real big. I ended up going on a reality show, local reality show, losing the weight, and I got a job with Red Bull. And I was I was the territory manager, and nothing against Red Bull. I wasn't ready. I was remembering these things like the ingredients in the can and these sales pitch. I didn't mind being on the golf course. I didn't mind. I ended up being a good sales rep because it sold itself and I would just give me one on one and I love having a conversation. Yep. But I was, I don't know, I was stacking shelves and I, it just, I didn't see myself there. I was like 24, right? A first round fucking pick. I'm not, a, I'm not below it. I'll work hard. But it was just a lot to be going into the fucking Loblaw or Dominion and stacking shelves, you know, and, and, sure. and it was sales rep, but it was also like on premise and off premise, um, the distributing and all that. So anyway, I was doing that, and I went to Bentley, Alberta, for Euro Seven Hundred Eight. That's anyway. I went out there for one year, and uh, played with the Bentley Generals, and we went to the Allen Cup final. And they paid me well. They gave me a job on the side, but I realized I'm only got this job because I can play hockey. So at the around the same time, this was two thousand and nine. And the Canadian's office calls, and I can't remember the ins and outs of it, but I had some money in my contract due to you guys at IMG, so thank you, that I didn't even know about that went towards my schooling if I went to school within like a dozen years. It was something like that. So they were like, you know, if you start in September, you can get, you know, three or four years of schooling paid for or whatever. So then I was like, okay, I I had no idea and I had no plan. I just uh, had had moved back, back to... Uh, back over here to, to Newfoundland. So that's it. I went into school and I didn't know what I was going to do. And I gravitated. And at the time I had all these journals and I was being hired to public speak for lack of a better way. I mean, I, I, I put myself out there. I mean, I really didn't, I was playing senior hockey. I was at odd jobs. I went back to Newfoundland. I didn't have my Red Bull job anymore. So I was doing some public speaking and I had all these journals being an only child, everything that I've told you so far, when I would leave to go away, my dad and mom would always make me read or write for at least 10 minutes a night, usually turned into a half hour. Didn't matter what it was. It could have been Rolling Stone magazine and it could have been writing. I don't know. Sonnets for all they cared. They were just like, you know, it's a good creative. So I had, so it ended up being just like, you know, after games in tri cities, if I had a big game or if I met somebody, I won't say a diary every day, but I kept journals. It, it, would, it would really help with the anxiety more than anything of being homesickness and stuff. So, But I had stacks of them. And now at this point, it's like the day I played against Wayne Gretzky, right? It's like, 
crazy stories here. Even the story about IMG, everything I've told you so far, most of this is in my first book. So I, I was making a book. So when I went in to see the academic advisor, um, like two and a half years, and I took six courses straight through the summer, six, 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 so I didn't take any time off whatsoever. And I love the whole process of going to school. Now I'm in my early 30s and I'm, I'm really enjoying it uh, as opposed to trying to get the courses done before happy hour, you know, <laughs> when you're 20. So, and I was learning a lot. And, and the, I, she said, well, you got 42 courses. You only need 40. But she said, you need another three in your specific field. I said, well, what am I close to graduating in? And she said, you, you've got a double major in folklore and English if you want to go and do those courses. Mm-hmm. I said, okay. Folklore is storytelling for the most part. I mean, a lot of things are folklore. The first class in, in university is just defining the word. But for what I was doing, it was like, you know, Newfoundland, you get those hundreds of years people have lived here with no electricity on the shore. You must have some storytelling skills and, you know, entertaining. Everybody's kind of a performer. So I kind of went at it from that angle, but it was helping me to tell these stories. And then English, obviously, I, I started with grammar and then creative writing. So now I had my journals with the knowledge of I almost had a degree and people were calling me to write this story, this book, a double day publishing. Even they had a ghostwriter lined up, but everybody wanted to hear the negative side of Montreal because they looked at the games played and they looked at me and maybe they heard some about Michelle Terrian, but I still really enjoyed my time in Montreal. It, it, you know, it, I guess it on hockey DB, it wouldn't look like that, but I spent three over three years there. I had a place downtown. Like it, it was transcended hockey to me. A lot of my friends were there. So I said, I'm not going to hear it. And they wanted me to sell out some players. And I was like, I, I, I just don't want to do that. So uh, ECW called me from downtown Toronto. They were like, we hear you want to put a book out. Can you send in uh, some chapters you got written? So I sent them just parts. I said, these are all parts of my journal. And they said, this is great. And I gave them my idea. And they said, you can write it any way you want to. Oh. And, uh, but I didn't get the big bonus or anything. I got to advance. But anyway, uh, so that's why. So now I came out. Now it's 2012. And I come out and I uh, the book ends up coming out in 14. So that was a process. But I, I, I had a folklore degree and I, was, I, I got accepted to go back and do education like my dad did. Became a teacher for almost 30 years. But I um, part of the story, I didn't tell, you know, my, 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 my buddy BJ Young passed away and I took his son here. I was raising his son. And Tyson, I guess, was nine or ten then. And, you know, I had to and, and I had a daughter on the way that wasn't really planned, but I had a lot of responsibilities. So it, I, I, I didn't want to wait two years and try to get into education, and these odd jobs. I was so my buddy, Alan Hawko, ended up being on a Canadian TV series. Well, it was going on at this time called Republic of Doyle, and it was shot right here. It's the biggest thing to that point that ever happened in St. John's in Newfoundland to the film industry. And he was playing the main character. And he picked me up to go to a tournament in Toronto, just a bit of fun for the arts community. And I just made a joke. I said, well, you know, I'm looking for a job. He said, really? And he said, well, if you want to. But he said, it's jump how high you'd be a production assistant, which I did for five full years, guys, before anything. Five full years. And I talked myself into some stunts. And then I became a set dresser. And then, and only then, did I start to get some opportunities. You got It's like anything, man. Like, you know, you... At first, it was like, hey, Hawk, can I have a background day? And he's like, yeah, but you know, you'd be a production assistant. And I had to go in first and leave last. There was no day that I was working. And you work for like four months. Then you take a month off. And then you work another three months. Like, it's a lot of hard work. And I wasn't in any of those days in for anything less anything less than 15 hours. It was locations, production assistant. 
the bottom of the barrel, but I, I, I stuck with it. I didn't really mind it at all. It was decent money. And then I just worked my way up. Now, <laughs> what happened, guys, is I did that on that show for a few years. I was there for season three to six. And a couple times, a plane didn't get in with the stunt guys on it, and there was a stunt required. And I used to be at the stunt guy, James Binkley and Glenn Redmond, and the stunt guys, and be like, come on, I fought Domi at center ice three times, and I can't <laughs> fucking roll down a hill? What the fuck? And they were like, ah, oh, Terry, you know, you got to be in the union, you got to this, which you did. But a couple times, right, I don't know what happened. Planes got fogged out or whatever. They, The main stunt guy, they moved him to a slot. Boom, I got a pool cube. Uh, snapped over my back and i did a car roll once uh so <laughs> i i got in that was two things in. So, yeah so but now i'm not in the union i just got in so there was more of a bucket list but what happened in 2015 same people same people are involved they bring a show here called Maudie, and it's about Maud lewis and a painter it's slow but it's deadly acting i highly recommend it sally hawkins and the great ethan hawk oh so we're doing this movie, guys, and I'm crew. I'm crew, man. I'm locations. So we go to a place, Keels, Newfoundland, which is out by Bonavista. That's where Michael Ryder and Adam Party are from. A small, small little spot. and But it's a great place to film. And they often, Newfoundland gives great tax breaks. And we, we've got it set up that, you know, fishing kind of we went for a long time and we had the COD moratorium and everything, but we there's a big film industry here now, and a lot of it takes place. If you if you see like the out outposted, you know shoreline Newfoundland commercials and those kind of things, they're usually coming from that area. So we went out to a place called Keels. Now there's only about 20 houses in Keels. We couldn't get into all of them, so the actors that had to be there in the morning we were shooting in this little cove. It was doubling as Digby, Nova Scotia. So I, because I'm basically yeah, I, I'm uh, I, I'm there because I'm going to be the first one in. There's no way around. I'm going to be the first one there. I make sure that everything's set up when, when when the director gets there, when the actors get there, that you know the tents are set up and everything, and we can go go ahead and proceed. So I'm staying right next to set, and the only people that are there are the actors and maybe the director, maybe the camera guys. I can't remember, but there's not everybody. Most people are going back to Clarenville or Bonavista. They're staying 45 minutes away. So it's the end of the first day shooting, man, and it's late. It's a warm day in October. It's like 20 degrees. We often get that. The seasons come late, but they leave late in Saint in Newfoundland. So the sun's going down, man, huge. I'm sitting on the edge of a cliff, and I'm dead. It's like 20 degrees, and I've, I've walked... 30,000 steps that day if I walk one and most of it was shit all over me, right? We're changing locations. And um, it was challenging. It, had, it was 1920s too, so all the cars that were driving are like Model Ts and stuff and they sure. won't work. A lot of stress involved in this. So, anyway, I sit there on the side of the cliff and I had a bottle of Jack Daniels that was one of the boys had. I grabbed it and I put it there and I had half a joint. And I lit the joint and I took a sip of, of Jack Daniels and up walking behind me, I thought it was one of the boys. I turn around, and it's Ethan Hawke. And he sits down. He sits down. Now, the first day of shooting, which would have been about three weeks before this point, I'm walking by the green room. I have to set up the green room for them, which is where the actors go to, like, wait for the next scene. So normally, you know, you're told not to really talk to them. And I used to think that was pretentious, but it's because they're remembering lines and stuff, right? So I get it now when I'm an actor. I don't. I hate being that guy, but sometimes you got to listen. you got to... Try to remember your lines, and you you want to be left alone. 
So it's kind of a no-no to just go over and start talking to them. But I did leave my book, Tales of a First Round Nothing, which just came out on his chair in the green room. So that nice. he, he comes to me, sits down and goes, I love the book. I said, are you fucking kidding me? You read it that short? And now here's the thing. In Montreal, Kiefer Sutherland would come to a lot of games. That's his good friend. So I remembered being in a bar, Bonanote, a bar restaurant. Anybody came through the NHL that, at that time would remember the Bonanote in, on St. Laurent Street. So I remembered being in Ethan Hawke's company. I knew he wouldn't remember me. But now that he's read the book, I mean, he's mentioned in there. So he's like, oh, yeah. And, and anyway, he goes, you know, it's about the journey. It's not always about games played or whatever. He tells me about his buddy that's coaching at Texas A&M <coughs> football. And he says, um, same thing. He had an opportunity to go to the NFL a bunch of times. He said, I think you should try acting. I said, well, you know, right now, easier said than done. I said, right now, I'm greasy, I'm tired, and I have to get up and make sure that all this shit's set up for you. So I don't know what world you're living in. And he said, no, when we get back. So I, I went out with Ethan Hawke one night, man. We came back. I took him out on George Street. And about after four or five drinks, doubles, I, uh, <laughs> I, I worked it up. I called Alan Hawko. And they were doing a show. They were about to do a show called Frontier, which changed my whole life. And Jason Momoa was set to be the star. And I sat there that night, man, with Ethan Hawke. I said, fuck it. And I called Hawke. I said, look, I know I don't have, I'm not in the union, but is there, can, I, can I audition for anything here? And he laughed. He said, well, I wouldn't be the one to talk to. But it can't hurt to have options. And he laughed. And he set me up with the casting director, Danielle Irvine. And uh, I went in, guys, to do it. And I was horrible. I was horrible. <laughs> but I went to take a sip of my coffee. This show, Frontier, it's on Netflix. The, the show takes place in the late 1700s. It's to do with a lot of the British redcoats coming over and using force to take over and fucking over a lot of the indigenous on their fur trades and stuff, like whatever mm -hmm. it would have been. Um, now, that's loosely, loosely. There are also underlying stories. But that, that's the time yeah. period, and that's the setting. Hudson's Bay, redcoats versus anybody native to this land. So um, I take out my tooth. I, I do the audition as a British cook with a British accent. I sucked. I'm not just made it. To be humble. Go on, do the British accent. Come on, let's do it. Here. Uh, Come I, on. I can't even remember. Would it, um, give me Go. a sentence. Uh, Tom, hello, Tom. Uh, you know, is anybody hungry? Like, you know, like that. Well, <laughs> way over the top. I didn't even really think about uh, it. I got there, guys. I got there. I didn't realize till I was there. I would have just remembered it. I, I would have remembered it phonetically. Right. But I got there and I didn't realize it had to be British. So I, oh. I, when, I, when I walked in, I was defeated. I was horrible. But the thing is, the camera's there. And the camera's looking at me. Daniel Arvin is in there. And the guy I'm reading my lines with, Paul Wilson, is in there. So it's two people. But the camera, I don't realize, is going back literally to Hollywood. Republic of Doyle wasn't Hollywood, but Frontier is Jason Momoa and his production team, and they teamed up. So it's part Take the Shot Productions from Newfoundland, and it's part Pride of Gypsies from Jason Momoa and Hollywood. So they're looking at this. I don't know that. So I'd take out my tooth, like take a sip of coffee, and basically say, is there anything else? Because that was horrible. And uh, they say, you know what? There's this... Why he, the director talks to Daniel and, and his name is Brad Payton. He's actually from Newfoundland where I'm playing senior hockey that year, Gander. Right. And, and he says, uh, why do you have no tooth? Are you Hawko's friend, the hockey player? And I say, yeah, yeah, man. And uh, I said, we just picked up Aaron Asham, my good buddy, came in from New York the year after being in the Stanley Cup final. Ash is playing in Gander. I love yeah. it. One of my good buddies. And um, <laughs> so he says, yeah. And, and he talks to Danielle and Danielle says, just be by the phone. I'm going to call you in a bit. 
I haven't gotten home yet. I'm driving. And she called and said, I, I need, there's this part at the very beginning, which it's five seconds into the show. I end up getting it. And it's a British soldier begging for his life. And all I have to do is say, please have mercy. Now, that's a little easier. I have to assume British, but please have mercy. Have mercy. Right? <laughs> and that's all I got to do. That's it. Right. So, right. And they're loving it because I think I've never talked to anybody about it. But from their world, why would they fly in a professional stunt person? Sure. To like, And I just was on my knees and I get my throat slit. That's the gag. Right. So right. and she calls me. I go out and she's like, can you cry? Because like. You're begging. You're not only begging for your life here. Like, Momoa's about to kill you. There's a fire. Like the ambiance. This is the teaser. This is the very, 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 very beginning of the show, and you've got to do it. And I did it. I went out to her place and I, I pulled it off. What what they wanted, and then boom, I got a part in this major show. I'm like yeah. fucking lights. I know I'm gonna get killed after five seconds, but whatever. I'm in this thing. And Momoa finds out that a third credit. I already got two with the stunts. Gets me in the union. So now he's loving it. And I don't think I think maybe they wanted to have me have no lines at first, but he he helped have the lines in there. So anyway, I get there and it's three British soldiers caught in this camp. And I'm so Momoa, the play is that you'll see when you watch. But he comes up from behind me, whispers in my ear something I don't want to hear and slits my throat and I go down. That's the play. Except three cameras are staring at me and behind the cameras are all the crew. And there are people that I've worked with for five or six years now that are going, fucking right, T-Bone's getting a chance, right? Like, a lot of crew don't make that jump. Right. I just, everything happened, you know, I'm, I'm meet Ethan Hawke. I, I know I kind of got a chance because I'm hockey. See, hockey, I can't get sure. mad at hockey. It's yeah. still paying off. Yeah. Created all of this. So anyway, I get there, and I can't fucking believe it. So Momoa comes up to do it, and, and, and he pokes me with his knife by accident. He comes close to me, and he, I still haven't seen him. I can just hear him talking behind me. And he says, oh, sorry, I hit you with my knife. I said, I thought you were just happy to see me. And everybody started laughing. <laughs> and the director came down, and he kneel, knelt beside me. He goes, this is the start of the show. I need blood. I need sweat. I need snots. I need tears. And it's true. Like, my face is mangled. That's part of how I got it, too. I have no tooth. It's hard to make, yeah. to reproduce that in hair and makeup. Sure. But if I only got to say three words, and it, it really helps the, you know, Momoa knocked out my teeth, right? So, anyway, he kneels beside me, and he goes, you're not begging for your life. You're begging to be killed immediately because you don't want to be tortured. You're saying, please have mercy and end me now. And he goes like this. The whole show is based on this. So he's like, how much time do you need? He goes, I need you to cry. And Brad's like almost now I can tell it's like a coach who's upset. You went out there at eight to one on the power play fucking around. And he's like, hey, we need goals for and against here, motherfucker. Not, you know, so like it's like. Okay, he goes, how much time do you need? I said, 30 seconds. And he looked up at everybody. He goes, okay, give TR two minutes. And he goes, everybody, shut the fuck up. Now you could hear a pin drop. All I could hear was the scene behind me, the fire going, and I could hear Momoa walking around. And I'm like, Jesus. So now I'm going, okay, three, four, five. I go, I got to get there. I got to get there. How do I get there? I'm still, like, elated. And I started to think of the worst possible things you know, my daughter or whatever, or, or something bad happened to a family member. And none of that got me there. What got me there to cry anyway was like, or get emotional. Because what <clears throat> now I know it's, it's you, you, make, you get to an emotional and then it's breathing. If you breathe really deep, you'll, it'll just flow out of you. So I, I, it was just, I was almost the good side of it. I was like, you know, of all that shit that happened. And I felt like, you know, this is a second chance. Like Jason Momoa is about 
to fucking slip my throat on a major TV show after all that shit. And all of a sudden, the power play breakout in the AHL didn't seem important, right? Like, right. And I'm going, wow, I get another chance. And it was like, what? And the whole emotion of being back to some degree with a chance at another career in such a big stage was like, that was overwhelming. And it got me there. And then once we had it once, we redid it a bunch of times, right, for all the other. But once we had it once, Brad was like, fucking rights, T-Bone, you got it. I was nice. like, oh. And then Momoa came down. We had a great time. I taught him to play hockey. Oh. And uh, he took me to Europe for three months. His personal assistant bailed out for, I shouldn't say bailed. She had some serious things going on at home, and she took a three-month leave of absence. And he said, do you want to be my assistant and be on my stunt team for three months? He put me in a couple of movies. Uh, and then in season three of Frontier, I was prominent character i came back and uh different look of course because my throat was slit but anyway got to know him well and got me in got me some credits and i was telling this story a few years ago on some podcast and jared kiso was listening got me in on letter kenny and then had the idea for shorzy and of course once i got in the union we have four studios here that i know of i was just uh, just finished a movie with the lifetime network there's a bunch going on here now so the timing of this was great because when Republic of Doyle happened, it was only that. And now, you know, I, there is an actual, you can make a living here as an actor. Wow. Awesome. So that's your career now then. Acting is your career. Maybe. Yeah, they would, it would be, I mean, my, I'm not too far away because podcasts and then, you know, public appearances of, of varying degrees help. But I mean, it's all, it all really stems from the acting. If I didn't have, those things, especially not Shorzy, right? I mean, a lot of people don't even realize that I played hockey. They just know Ted Hitchcock. They're like, what? Like when, when okay. I do, that's what the funny. I watched that video, the Ted Hitchcock thing. When they say it sounds like <laughs> it's just wild. Yeah, oh, Jared God. really did me a favor there. Can we and say that on there? You absolutely can oh. say it. So say that line. Like, <laughs> well, that the gag is that. So every single time they introduce me, they say, "This is my buddy Ted Hitchcock," and it's kind of funny because when you say it fast, it sounds like ten-inch cock. So, <laughs> I saw so, that video when I was dying laughing. I yeah. And it's every oh. time I get introduced. Oh, is that right? Oh, okay. It's oh. well, yeah, yeah. Sorry, pretty much. But what you saw was, I think you saw the the clip that I posted there. That was the first yeah. time. But oh, in the show, it's a great show. It's a great show, Tom. You got to watch TV and you got to watch this show. I will. I will. You watch really, I, honestly, guys, of everything, I would never sit there and say like i i take pride in my hockey playing right but i wouldn't say we got to come see me or my book we you don't have to read but this i happen to be part of honestly and i highly recommend this show i think it's just it's it's so brilliant and to to be involved and to be asked to play this big and i know now the way it works most actors don't get to be you know they they go their whole career might be successful actors but they don't get to be a main character on a recurring series, which I realize how lucky I am. If it all ended now, I would be elated. So I'm, I'm really living living the dream here. Do we know if there's any other hockey players that have gone on to be actors after their careers? I don't think we, I know. We well, like Sean Avery does a bit. I, I don't yeah, know how much. Nah, he's not, yeah, and no. Tom, you did a guest spot on Survivor, right? What four episodes? <laughs> Five episodes. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, I don't know, guys. I'm the only one I know of. I'm with an agency now in downtown Toronto, Ambition Talent. And I I know Avery does it here and there. Yeah, no, he's not a full time actor. But I I don't know if there's nobody in with me or, you know, these guys got a finger on the pulse. There's not a whole lot of people. No, there's some guys that played like Junior that got into stunts. Right. Like I come across them here and there because there's only so many. Right. And Larry Playfair's nephew is doing. He's like, yeah, he's he does it on Letter Kenny. Right. 
Oh, oh, is he with? Oh, okay. Yeah, he, oh, PK does a little bit too, a little bit of stuff. Oh, that's right. He's uh, our worlds crossed a couple times. I, I don't know where they're going to go with it. I, I would have to think at some point, the Letterkenny crowd's going to meet up with the Shorzy crowd. I, I just don't think they want to jump the shark too early, and I don't know if. But it, it seems like that. I mean, it's the same world. There's, there's little parts that are overlapping. Right. Yes, it's a great show. Tom and anyone listening should watch it. Tom, this is your life. It's Canadian farm boys in Ontario. And it's yeah. hockey, and it's what you grew up with. I have watched some clips. They are pretty funny. I watched the one clip where these two guys showed up with the girl, one of the girls, uh, one of the guys' brother, and they get going back and forth about it. It was hilarious, though. Yeah, that it was, was that one where yeah, he's he's uh, he gets caught cheating. That that was yeah. the hardest. That was hard to. It's the only show, honestly. Normally, a show might come off as funny, but. Yeah. You've done it so many times that it's easy to get through, but it's really tough to get to get through the scenes on Shorzy without laughing. And oh yeah, oh that's good stuff. Uh, the, the the great thing about Shorzy too, for me, is that Jared and the writers. He writes most of it. There's writers. They haven't. They're they're not too experienced with Newfoundland. They are like like Jared watches Coldwater Cowboys, which is um think it's very similar to the show that like the alaska crab fisherman a few years ago sure it's that sort of thing cold water cowboys just based in newfoundland same sort of you know yeah same same kind of show so but the thing is there's lots of dialects in newfoundland right so i I think one of my first lines a lot of people in newfoundland drop an h so center ice would be center heist right right And, and and you might say apple is happle yeah. And, and don't they finish sentences with Nespa in some places? Some, yeah, right. yeah. yeah. So, some places they do, right? Like Dar- Darren Langdon was a client of mine as well. And I, his parents, when they were talking, they go, Nespa. He's my guest tomorrow on my podcast. Oh, is there Darren is? Oh, good. Yeah, just good man. A, just an alumni tour with them. Uh, oh, good. He's he's a good man. Yeah. He could great, great guy. He, yeah, he, Langer's from out west, which would be complete. Yeah, talking to Darren Langdon, you can tell he's from Newfoundland. Yeah, totally. But he doesn't sound like someone from yeah. St. John's. Yeah. And someone from Danny Cleary's doesn't sound like someone from St. Anthony. Right. Right. So I, but Coldwater Cowboys is literally encompasses the whole island. Storylines go from like Twillingate to Cornerbrook to like St. John's to Southern Shore. And I was going, Jared, it's great. I said, if, if you want me to say center heist, then I've got to drop, then I've got to add an H onto every vowel sound. An apple's a apple, an orange is a horn. Like I, I got to do that. But if I said, if there's the guy, like I said, I'm sitting in his house right now, my, my house now. Tony Fonspaolo, right? I said, I can do that because we grew up imitating him. And I did. Before I left, I had a bit of an accent like this anyway, right? I talk really pretty fast. But with Fonz, he's got a he's got a slow draw. Like, where are you at, boys? Look at Ryan. He's on the mainland. <laughs> so we used to do that. And all I did really was speed, speed up his accent because I can do it without even thinking about it. Right. So I was oh. like, Jared. So the great thing is that often they'll have the lines written, but I get to, like, twist them around. And I would... I would never insult like people often go like at this point, you know, I've had a couple of dozen acting roles, some bigger than others, but I would never like people go, do you ad lib? I'm like, that is such an insult. Unless, unless you're one of the producers or there are situations like the, if people want that, the director will say, okay, give me a shot. Give me a shot. Okay. We got it. Now let's do a third one and have a bit of fun with it. Then I know to ad lib. Sure. But I'm not sure. going to go into a show that's written basically on wordplay. I wouldn't do Arrested Development and start ad libbing. It's an insult. But from my character, 
I do get to kind of newfanese the lines up a little yeah. bit. So cool. it's nice. always a little bit of fun. I, and that yeah. also lends itself when no one knows exactly what I'm going to say or how I'm going to deliver it. Yeah. It's tough to get through the scene then, too, because some Newfoundlanders got some crazy sayings. And that's part of the gag. Jared said at first I was like, you know, I hope I'm not making Newfoundland look stupid. He said, look, we'll never laugh at Newfoundlanders. Yeah. And you're going to be dumb like a fox. There's nothing that Hitch says is going to be what an idiot. But he right. said, you know, part of the gag is that people don't understand you. So you're going to have to get there somehow. So I just yeah. kind of settled on this. It's cool. Awesome. Well, you have had uh, one heck of a journey with your life. Uh, you know, I grew up in Canada for a lot of people, you know, listen, playing in the National Hockey League is what you dream of doing. In a lot of cases, that's once you do that, there are some guys, well, OK, I did it, did it for a few games. And now that that's my rest of my life is kind of over with. Right. You did not take that approach. You really worked hard to get this acting going. So very proud of you. You've done a great job. Thank you. I appreciate it. It's been a very, very interesting life. And honestly, the first few years after my hockey mishaps, you know, and there was so much expectation, man, I was tripping over my bottom lip. I thought, man, I'm washed up. I got nothing to give. I look back, man, I was like 24, 25, like just it's impossible to see the world like I yeah. do now then. But sometimes you look back and you're like, you know, it's good. If I hadn't played in the NHL at all, I think I would, you know, it probably bother me a little bit. But yeah. I got to play for the Montreal sure. Canadiens. And you know what's great? I just told you I played pretty recklessly. So I don't know what would have happened. I can't see me going 10 years and not getting injured oh, yeah. badly. You know, I, so I don't know what would have happened. But what I do know is that I did get to play. I got some great stories. met some great people like yourself. We're still talking 30 years later. Yeah. And yeah. Um, like I said last week, I got to play with Wendell Clark. We went on just, a, just a, three or four alumni tours this year. But just last week, we went to Clarenville, Twillingate, um, Springdale, Newfoundland, Wendell Clark, Ally Afraidy, Ron Duguay, oh. Langer, right? Uh, and, and so uh, Lucien Deblois, I'm meeting uh, Matthew Dandino. So I'm meeting these people. You still get, I mean, I wish I was playing for the Stanley Cup with them, but yeah. I'm not. Yeah. And I still get to wear the Habs colors. And, you know, this this many years later, we're all friends. And I still get to meet and greet these people that are legends in the game. For And what I love about hockey I like people don't bring it up enough, but you know, in this crazy world of, of, of how now every the po po politics have driven everything so extreme, but hockey in a dressing room, it just, it's just <laughs> like you're, you know, like I don't sure. know, I was with Ron yeah. Duguay, Wendell Clark, like I know that they're, they don't have all the same political views, but we don't give a shit. We're no all kidding. Players. Yeah. We're all friends. Yeah. And we had a great conversation. And yeah. um, well, lots of great conversations. But I love that about it. And hockey players, you know, there's just first and foremost, it's just sharing that that ride together. There's something that you respect that it really is a fraternity. And yeah. I wish more of the world could kind of take on those you know you can talk you can have a conversation without hating each right. other you know i uh, totally even if you haven't met the guy before it's like your brothers right you've known him for 30 years or something so well yeah, listen yeah, yeah listen thank you very much uh for having uh, for coming on our show here it was uh, a lot of great stories i again i really guess i didn't remember your personality from before but uh you certainly have a large one <laughs> well it was a long it yeah. was a long time ago and uh you asked that question to look back i mean of course things have changed but i've always I think, yeah, I, I I appreciate that. It's been fiery, but it, it's more um, 
You're living life. Adventurous than anything. And I do think, to go back, not that I want to revisit everything I talked about, but I think it was a little foggy with Michelle Therrien, too, because the French-English thing came in. You know, I can't, you know, I'd come into the room sometimes after going to a Metallica concert the night before with blue hair. And I know he must have been thinking, that motherfucker. Like, but again, he didn't talk. He just benched me, and I'd tell him to go fuck himself. Right? So I think just we both misunderstood it not to revisit it but you know when you said that i I was like yeah you know i was always myself but i could see how someone would maybe take it the other way but i appreciate that and i appreciate both you guys uh spending this afternoon with me oh thanks Thanks good to see you brother good job you too if you ever need anything tom let's not make it another 30 years okay yes i want to get on your show okay well you say the word i'll I'll give you a message after this and we'll make it happen asap all right awesome good to see you again thanks terry All right, Tom, I said in the intro that I was pumped about that episode, but that, he was just awesome. Um, just I, I come from TV, as you know, and he went back and became a PA. That's the lowest of the low when yeah. you're in production, and he busted his ass for five years. I mean, you're working the longest hours. You're getting people coffee. You're just cleaning up shit. It's the worst job, and tribute to him. You know, he's the yeah. epitome of changing and having a second chapter. Yeah, I really admire him. You know, he's a gritty guy. He, he Like you talked several times, he couldn't score goals. He had to find, find somebody some way to stay in the lineup and that was fighting everybody all the time so yeah i totally admire his work ethic man he's been successful i didn't realize he'd done as much acting as as he's done so yeah and uh, you know we joke that you don't watch tv but you you have to watch letter kenny and you have to watch shorts he's great on shorts and it's a great show and it's it's you it's canada and it's hockey and it's you gotta watch it (laughs) the ken hiscock thing i watched that video that was hilarious you got yeah you gotta watch it but yeah he was awesome and what what a second chapter in his life yeah very cool very cool one guy great interview all right here we go All right, grasshoppers, thank you for listening. We had a fantastic show. We'll see you next time.